Good morning. Didn't they do awesome? I mean, you guys rock my socks. Way to be. Three songs. My goodness. My gracious. I'm a little echoey here. I feel like it's probably just in my head, but do you guys hear it too? Okay. It says here, preach the word. I'm going to do my best. I did want to say thank you to Richard. Um, He and I got to know each other as he was at Campbell, and I was doing a... uh, a refresher course there at the seminary. I graduated from Divinity a little before he did because I'm old. And, um, and so he and I got to talk. And then I saw him again at uh, one of the children's conferences. Um, and we got to talking then. And we've kind of been in contact ever since. But Jonesboro is kind of a second church home to me. Um, as a teenager, um, I went on my first mission trip with Wanda Howard, with World Changers. And that changed my life forever. It was an affirmation of God's call into ministry. And I will be forever indebted to this church for opening up its doors and its heart to me. And then I was also, uh, well, on that mission trip, this is a funny thing. On that mission trip, guess who was on my crew? Thomas Bounds. And then uh, Steve and Stephen Carter and Nellene uh, were my, Steve was my crew chief, and now he is working with Rebecca Autry and Chris in Vermont. So uh, it's just such a small world, and I'm so glad God brought me back to this part of the world to talk to you today. And um, I also did uh, act teens with Kim, Kim, and Claudia, and that was, as you know, an amazing blessing in my life, changed me in so many ways. And my children have had music under Miss Vanessa in preschool. And then there is the blight of Jonesboro Heights, which is that Jeff Cummings is my cousin. (laughs) We love Jeff and Kay, and I know that they are uh, just amazing workers for God in this church, and and I love them to pieces too. And uh, I want to say thank Richard again, and I know that he asked me because I am a children's minister, which means that I know a lot about kids, but it doesn't mean that I understand children. You know, it's just, it's hit or miss most of the time. But um, I wanted to say, our little reader guy, what was his name again? Oh my goodness. Amazing job. I mean, I gave you like the hardest scripture in the whole Bible and you did it. And I said, he probably thinks this is real, really weird scripture. And you probably thought that it was really weird scripture too. But that is t- what I tend to gravitate towards is the really weird. But I think that this scripture has something amazing to say to families. Because God had made this covenant, starting with Abraham, that he would be their God and they would be his people. And he would protect them and bless them if they would worship and follow him. And God kept his end of the bargain every time. And every single time, the people of Israel blew it. They just messed it up 100% most of the time. And again, as they traveled, this covenant that he made with them followed them through Abraham. It followed them in the wilderness with Moses. It followed them with a new king under Saul and David and Solomon. It followed them as they built the temple and Jerusalem. And they established their families around the perimeter of that wall in Jerusalem. That covenant, no matter where they traveled, the covenant followed them. 
God's promise was with them. If they would just raise their eyes and lift up his name, he would bless them. But for some reason, it's so hard to keep that focus. It's so hard to do the right thing sometimes. My mom used to say, it is just so easy to make the right choice. No, it is not. It is not always easy to make the right choice. But you know my mama's Betsy, so I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. They had to be conquered first by the Babylonians and then the Assyrians and then the Persians before they got that they were called to be a holy people and worship their God. In fact, they got so good about being a holy people that they forgot to be a loving people. And that's when Jesus came to show them again how to love. Jerusalem was meant to be a city on a hill, and it was meant to be this reminder of God's providence to the world. It was meant for protection, but more than keeping people out, the walls of Jerusalem were meant to keep its people together. Homes were built along that perimeter, like I said, and the tribes lived along sections of the wall. So each tribe was gathered around a certain gate. This was your gate, and you knew that your family was going to be around this gate somewhere. And wherever you came from in the city, you knew where to find certain people based on the gate. Oh, yeah, this is at the gate of fishes, and this is the gate of shalom, and this is the gate of the trees, this is the gate of I don't know what else, but there were lots of gates, and everybody identified with a part of the wall and a part of the gate and a part of the city. In fact, if you had been living outside of Jerusalem as the Hebrew people, you knew which gate to go in to find your people. Isn't that amazing? That they knew where they belonged and who they belonged to and who they belonged with. It's probably a lot like Sanford used to be. You probably could come in at any part of Sanford and know whose family lived where at some point, right? The McLeods were over on Wicker, and the, and the Angels were over on Academy with the Dobies, and that kind of thing. Everybody kind of knew where everybody was. The walls were their protection and their identity And above all, they identified as the followers of Yahweh. In fact, they wouldn't have said Yahweh, would they? Oh, no, that was too holy to say. They would have said Adonai or Eloheinu. And then, in the middle of the city, in the middle of all these tribes, in the middle of all these walls and these great gates, and these beautiful people of God was the temple, which united them all under God. This was their shining light to the world, this city on a hill. But here's the thing about the walls. When the walls came down, the families came apart. They were scattered. The strongest and the smartest of their people, like Nehemiah, who he read all about, were sent to serve foreign kings, and the remnant lost their sense of purpose and being. So, Miss Becca, what does this have to do with Children's Sunday? It has everything to do with Children's Sunday. Richard said that I was supposed to talk to families. Now, I'm used to talking to kids, and so it would have been fine with me if I would have just had two rows of kids, and I would have preached to them all day, and we would have fun. But he said to talk to families. And Nehemiah was exiled. He was the cupbearer. That means the guy who tastes. Kids, this is cool. 
I mean, it's dangerous. It was, he was a dangerous guy. His job was to taste everything that the king ate or drank before he did in case it was poisoned. And it meant that basically he was the most important person in the king's life. The king entrusted his whole life to Nehemiah. They were buds. And when Nehemiah came to him and was upset because he had heard that the walls had fallen and nobody was rebuilding them and his people were just like hanging out and being sorry, he wept. And then he prayed on the behalf of the people of Israel. And he said, I'm sorry, God. Let me be your man. Let me be your guy. Let me be your person. Kids, one day, I want you to tell God, let me be your person. And he'll say, all right, to every single one of you. There's not one person in this church, man, woman, child, youth, that is not meant to be God's person. So Nehemiah Asked the king, please let me go rebuild this wall. And the king knew that it was a big deal for Nehemiah to ask because he knew him so closely, so intimately. And he couldn't deny him because this man had laid his life down for the king. And it, but then he was like, but how long is it going to take? <laughs> and Nehemiah, I'm sure, promised him we'll get it done as fast as we can. And then Nehemiah went out into Israel and to Jerusalem and he looked at these walls that have fallen down. And do you know what he did? He called the families. He said, get your people and your mess together and come. This is not who we were meant to be. This is not the shining city on the hill. We are God's people. We are chosen and called by his name. And we are going to rebuild and that is exactly how it did it. Now, I'm sorry you had to read all those names, but what I wanted you to see was that sons were next to fathers, were next to cousins, and each tribe and each family took their part of the wall that they had lived by and that had been their ancestry, and they rebuilt their part of the wall. It even mentions some people who were like really rich and thought they were too good to get their hands dirty, and the Bible like shames them real bad because they didn't. But each family worked together to rebuild their part of the wall. And it said, sons and daughters. Do you hear me, that, little girls? Sons and daughters. The girls got their hands dirty for the Lord. We can do it. All of us can do it together. It was families first. And here's the cool thing about how they did it. There were some people who didn't want them to rebuild these walls because they wanted to have the power over the Hebrew people. They wanted them to be scattered. They wanted them to be weak. They didn't want them to be centered around God and focused. And they threatened their lives and they threatened to tear down what they were doing and they threatened to attack them in the middle of the night. And so do you know what these guys did? These people were laying bricks. They were laying stones. They were like ninja warrior masons. They had a spade in one hand and a, and, and a sword in the other. Now that would be hard and I was trying to imagine that, but maybe somebody laid the stone and somebody else put down and had the sword. But 
That doesn't really matter. After a while, what they did was, while some were laying the stones, the others stood guard, and then they would switch. And they felt important, and they felt the importance of the person beside them, and they felt the importance of what they were doing together. And somewhere in the process, in working alongside each other, in protecting one another, and in dreaming again, finally, together, families were rebuilt. Because it wasn't just the families inside the city that were called. They called their families who were scattered. They called them all home. And the families all worked together to rebuild. And then those families were rebuilt. Pride was restored and a new story was created, a new narrative of hope, faith, and family that God had introduced them to back in the time of Abraham. But they had forgotten. God reminded them, each one of you is my city on a hill. It takes all of my families It takes all of my people. You are my shining light. It's not these bricks. It's you coming home and working together to serve God. We, like the Hebrews, are a covenant people, aren't we? Jesus announced that he was bringing forth a new covenant with the shedding of his blood. And when we accept salvation, when we are saved... We are born again into the family of God. And we make this covenant, we make this promise that we will be your people and we will come alongside you and we will walk this road and this life together. It's an important covenant. And I've been told on good authority that you guys have another covenant that you make with your children when they're dedicated. Is that right? This news came from Vermont. Things could have changed. She also told me that I needed to wear a suit. I said, can I wear a blouse and pants? She was like, "Mm mm-mm, you need to wear a suit. This is Jonesboro. Dress it up, Becca. Okay. You make a covenant if you're like Antioch, and you say, children are a gift from God, and parents say, we're going to do everything that we can to raise our children in the faith. That means raising them in the faith at home and raising them in the faith at church. And even as they're sitting there or standing there or being held there, kicking and crying and being as cute as they can, and we're all just entranced by the adorableness, we make a promise that we will help those families raise those children and that they will be our children. They will be our children. And we will come alongside them. And we will help raise them in the faith. No longer are they, let's say the Bowen children, they are Jonesboro kids. And I can tell you that no matter how old they get or where they go in life, they will always consider themselves Jonesboro kids. Your legacy and your covenant is all around this world. It's all around this nation. It's all around this world. And I know for sure it's in Vermont. I can say that for absolute certainty. The thing about a covenant is that it travels with the family of God. 
No matter where the Israelites went, they were still God's people. No matter where the Jonesboro kids go, they're still the Jonesboro kids. And I think this idea of traveling as families is amazing. How many of you probably have some kind of crazy story of family travels? Yeah. Maybe yours are not harrowing stories like mine was. My mom, when I was little, was on the rescue squad at Boone Trail. And often, traveling meant jumping out of bed and strapping in for a wild ride to Grandma's house where Mom would slow down to about 20 miles an hour and we would jump out and barrel roll into Grandma's front yard. She would speed off into the distance off to save an arm or a leg somewhere. And sometimes at my house, travel wasn't even intentional. Once my mom left us in a really hot car for about 14 hours while she checked her duty schedule at the, at the rescue building, and, um, and my little brother David crawled, crawled over into the front seat and put the car in gear, and we were like going backwards, and he was like, dude's a hazard! And, and, and like literally an EMT had to come running out of the building and leapt into the car and put it back in park. It was, it was craziness. David always made traveling together exciting. But when the traveling was intentional, like vacations, I remember we used to measure how long a trip was by how many cartoons we were going to miss. So, like how many episodes, so let's say Topsail Island was going to be six Looney Tunes, okay? You understand? That's how we measured it. And Dad would put on the old Elvis 8-track or Pat Boone, and we would sing Moon River and Speedy Gonzales and didn't even realize kids our age, nobody else was singing that. More important than where we were going was for that time, for better or for worse, we were all together. And that's when our stories and our questions and our jokes were shared. The forced intimacy eventually became true intimacy and bonding. In today's busy world, our ball practices and meetings and classes take our families in different directions, but no matter what direction the car takes you, your faith should always bring you home. No matter where your cars take you, your covenant with the Lord should lead you back to having those faith moments at home. Back to the promise that you covenanted, that promise that you made, that covenant that you shared, that you would do your part to raise your children in the faith. It's important. If the church is the body of Christ, the family is the spine. Statistics show us that basically every family is one generation from being unchurched. And why is that? It's because we've broken our covenant with one another and with God. The walls of our Jerusalem are falling down. Having your family at church is extremely important, but we can't expect the church to teach our children to do in four hours a week what we're not willing to model at home. And don't we want to be there as parents, as grandparents, as family? Don't we want to be there for those faith moments, for those holy moments when we open up ourselves and our lives to the Holy Spirit and to one another? And in those moments, amazing things happen. 
Those things don't happen in the hour and a half, two hours that they have at church. Those are special moments that God reserves for the family. Your child will, be, will never be more comfortable talking to anyone else about Jesus than they are with their parents. But the less you're involved in their faith de- development, the more that will change. If you're not having those conversations, the more unnatural those conversations will be later. If you're not having them when they're young, when they're teenagers, they're going to look at you like, Ur-t. It's in those moments that God moves. And our kids, no matter how old or young they are, they have questions and they have troubles and they have moments of elation and disappointment that only parents can help them view through the lens of faith because you're there. You're the ones who are there. You're experiencing it with them. They're going to forget it by the time they get back to church. Unless they won a million dollars at school, probably they're not going to tell Richard about it. Your teenagers and your kids will be on the phone with the door shut unless you call them into engagement with you and God. Honoring their privacy does not mean letting them live lives outside of your family and outside of the family of God. They may not say it, but they want to be known. They want to be celebrated. They want to be comforted. They want boundaries. Your loving guidance is an extension of the Lord's loving guidance. And let me tell you, Jesus is all up in our business, so be all up in your kids' business. It's okay. He modeled that for us. I'd like to say that I stayed out of trouble as a kid because I really loved Jesus, but I was scared of Betsy. I was. No, I wasn't scared of her, but I knew she had eyes everywhere. (laughs) And my dad, oh, let him do it for you later. He has the, oh, the worst disappointed face on the face of the planet. Oh, my goodness. He can break your heart with a look. I never wanted to come home and have to tell my dad something that I had done that didn't live up. Mm -mm. Yeah. They were checked in, so I didn't have the choice to be checked out. You might forget to pack your kids a snack for school about half the time. But don't forget to listen to them at the end of the day. None of us have all our mess together, but having it together pales in importance to actually being together. That's what keeps families strong. If there are cracks in the walls of Jerusalem, it will take families working and talking together to rebuild them. So then where else does this covenant travel? Well, it travels to church. And guess what? When it travels to church, it doesn't just drop its kids off and say, see ya. When we promise to help our families raise their children in faith, that is a promise of involvement. Our parents can't be expected to just drop their kids off because our kids need to see us in ministry together. They need to see us involved in church, but they also, church, I'm not just talking to parents, the children need to see you involved in them. Some of the favorite people at Antioch are the ladies who serve snacks at Awana's. And they remember the children's names and the children remember their names and they feel loved and special because those ladies make them feel so when they walk through the, walk, walk through the line. 
Josie got a card today from her, yesterday from her Sunday school teacher just saying, hey, thanks for being there and being a great kid and for helping me pass out those pencils. That's people being involved in the life of my child. And there is no greater responsibility that a parent gives you than to be that person for their child, to be that Sunday school teacher. But parents be that Sunday school teacher too. Don't expect everybody else to be in charge of your child's faith. You be an intimate part of it. There is nothing more important, no me time, no show more important than being involved in the faith of your child in the church. Ministry is not easy and it's not convenient. Nobody ever said it would be. But when it's done together, it's a blessing and not a burden. The same 15 people can't carry a whole ministry. And I know from experience that sometimes that's how it is at church. And those 15 people start feeling burned out really quickly. And maybe you're scared of kids because some people are. Some people think that they are germy, and they are. And some people think they do gross things, and they do, but so do I. You know? But maybe the way that you'll be involved is to call Richard and say, Richard, what can I do? What can I, can, what can I get? Can I go pick up some things that you need for church this week? We were at a conference, and one of the children's ministers said, I just feel like I spend a lot of time looking for the black Play-Doh. And everybody else went, yes. We spend so much of the time that we should be planning and being creative together at Walmart or looking for the black Play-Doh or doing things that don't have eternal significance, but you got to do them. Be that person who says, I'll go to Walmart for you and I will kiss your face because I hate Walmart. I teach the two-year-old Sunday school class on Sunday nights and one of the greatest blessings for me last year was that a grandma came and volunteered with her two-year-old grandchild and she didn't want to teach and she would help with crafts some, but here is the major blessing that she, she cleaned up. She cleaned up. And that was so important. You think these things aren't important, but that got me home to my family before 8 o'clock. That gave me time to invest in my children's faith and family at home. It's important. We all have to do it together. Richard will give you lots of suggestions, I'm sure. And the last place that the covenant and the family of God travels is we traveled the distance. I have a little story to share with you if the guys will pull it up here. All right. So there once was a man named Don Astronaut. Don Astronaut lived on a space station in outer space. Don Astronaut had a special space suit that kept him alive without food or oxygen. It was a miracle. One day, there was an accident. What does that say, kids? Boom, yeah. And Don Astronaut was cast out into outer space. Don Astronaut orbited the earth and was very scared until he remembered his special suit that kept him alive. Oh, I'm going to be okay out here in outer space. 
But nobody's government came to rescue Don Astronaut because they thought it would cost way too much money. There was a conspiracy, and they said he had died, but he hadn't. So Don Astronaut orbited the Earth again and again, 14 times each day. And Don Astronaut orbited the Earth for months. And Don Astronaut orbited the Earth for decades. And Don Astronaut orbited the Earth for 53 years before he died a very lonely and crazy man. Just a shell of a thing without, with hardly a spark for a soul. That's your children's lesson for today. No, the reason that I share this story is if you look around you, almost everyone can name someone who isn't here. Perhaps it's just once, a once-in-a-while thing, or perhaps this is a long-term absence. They floated away like dawn, and they didn't come back. Youth, maybe this is a friend who grew up in church with you and doesn't come anymore. The covenant that you made at salvation extends to these these folks as well. No matter how far we stray from God's path and God's family, we can never out-travel God's love. And if God's love extends beyond our church doors, then our love and reach should extend beyond them as well. Every person out there who thinks they've gone too far to to return to God, there's a person here who has experienced a similar, similar struggle. For every parent who feels like a failure, there are 10 more of us who threaten to face fate worse than death to our children before we came to church today. I'm a children's minister, and I know what it's like to have a toddler who won't stop saying shut up. Josie is seven, but when she was two... It was when everybody would say, when something exciting happened, they would say, shut up. Well, she heard that, and she thought that she was supposed to say shut up, and I gave her too much attention for it when she did it, like, you better not say shut up. So then all she wanted to say was shut up, and I'm not kidding you. The kid said, Jesus loves me, this I know, shut up, for the Bible tells me so. She would put it in everything, and I'm a children's minister. None of us are going to get this all perfect together. But we walk alongside each other and having another mom or grandma say, I know exactly what that's like, kept me tethered to church. It kept me from feeling like the outsider. It kept me feeling like I can show up next week because Johnny's kids pick their noses too. We're all in this together. No one does life alone. Maybe part, your part of the covenant is to call someone back out of the dark. Maybe it's time to love someone enough to honor our end of the covenant to be their family when, nobody, when everyone else turns their back on them. For some reason, there's this perception out there. Now, church people know that's not true because we know we're, we're messed up. But for some reason, out there in the world, there's this perception that we have to have our mess together before we come to church. And the truth is, we're all a mess. But Jesus holds out his arms to us and he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and overburdened. Isn't that our families today? And I will give you rest. Isn't that where we're all coming from? 
Aren't those the words that we all need to hear? We all have cracks in our walls. We're all a hot mess that needs Jesus. We need to be able to say that to each other. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a hot mess that needs Jesus. Say it right now. Admit it. Yeah, I saw those eyebrows raised, but you know you are. We've all stumbled, we've all slipped, and we've all even fallen in our faith. But when we fall down, our covenant family should be there to come alongside us, to have our backs like in Nehemiah, to guard us while we get our mess back together, while we put our section of the wall back together. You are some people's tether back to the church. Don, the astronaut, needed somebody to pull him back in. People, there are people who are members of this church who need to know that they matter and they need you to pull them back in. So today, where will your family travel together? Where will your covenant take you as a family and as a church? I promise as we begin to work together as a family, we will change our story We'll change our narrative as God's people. And we will rebuild what once seemed beyond repair. Kids, I'm going to call you down now for the blessing of the children. Jeff, I'm sorry you told me I needed to be done by 11.15. That didn't happen. But kids, as you come, I want to tell you something that might be the most important thing Aside from the story of salvation that you'll hear about your faith. Are you ready to hear this? You show me your eyes, I'll show you mine. God loved you first and God loves you best. And no matter where life takes you, no matter how far from friends or family or this church it takes you, God goes with you. And he will always love you first and best.